Well, hello and welcome to the Mariner's Library with me, Chris Stanmore Major. In this episode, we're continuing the book The Wind Calls the Tune by Stanley Smith and Charles Violet. This is the 11th part of the reading and we're on chapter 12. Now, if you haven't already, please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. And there for $5 a month, you can not only support the podcast, but also get access to exclusive Patreon only book readings. Now on with the story. Chapter 12. Landfall. We began to feel excited now, for soon we should see land, and the Nova would have then have completed her second crossing of the Atlantic under her own sail. With her waterline length of just under 16 feet, we thought it likely that she would be the smallest to date to have done it both ways, but we weren't out for records. This was perhaps fortunate, as we learned afterwards that a 16-and-a-half-foot dory named Little Western sailed from Gloucester, Massachusetts in the 1880s to the English Channel in 43 days and recrossed the Atlantic in 101 days. A solar observation at 4pm showed we had made good 78 miles in the last two days and we were not much over 300 miles from land. Considering the excellent state of health of our goose barnacles, we thought this fairly good, for part of the time there had been no wind. On the 31st of July, we sighted, of all the unexpected things, a submarine. This sinister object passed close by, but we couldn't see anyone on board, and they ignored us. The strong southwest wind petered out in the afternoon, and backed to a very light east-southeasterly. It was hardly strong enough to fill the sails. This was very exasperating when land was only a few hundred miles away, but we were becoming used to these rapid changes. With our speed varying between half and one knot, we slowly kept our course for Nova Scotia. At 4am the following morning, 1st of August, the helmsman had another thrill. A large passenger ship was sighted about two miles away. Its thousand lights made it look like a distant city. Expecting no reply, we flashed a call sign to her on our feeble little torch. To our amazement, we received the go-ahead sign. With fingers awkward in the excitement, we sent the message, Please report Nova Espero, Lloyd's London. Thanks. Each word was acknowledged. An excellent watch must have been kept on board that liner, for our pinprick of light stabbing the dark could only just have been visible to a keen eye two miles away. This was our second contact by Morse, and we wondered if we had called one of the Queens. A glance at the track chart showed that we were near the summer Great Circle route for the fast European-bound ships. At 10am the same day, the light east-south-easterly wind increased to fresh, and the Nova, having a favourable wind, spurted forward willingly, trying to overcome the heavy, remorseless drag of our stick-fast shellfish. The barometer was the only gloomy thing in that day of blue sky and sea, for it began to fall rapidly. When night came, sheet lightning flashed in the western sky, and to the north the sky was filled with the eerie light of the aurora borealis. And the glass went lower still. At 6am next day a terrific squall from the southwest hit us. In a clamour of wildly flogging sails and shrieking wind, we prepared the Nova for another onslaught. The wind slowly veered to the northwest and settled there with increasing strength. Out went the sea anchor and we were again being pushed back in our tracks. Three hours later, the wind suddenly eased 
so we hauled in the sea anchor onto our wave-washed foredeck and made sail under jib and mizzen. No sooner had we settled down than the wind piped up to gale force again, but we kept on into the tumbling seas which covered us with spray every time we crawled out of a trough to meet the next roller with its top broken off and rushing down to meet us. By midday, the Nova was taking too much punishment and we put out the sea anchor once more, only to haul it in again two hours later when conditions seemed better and off we went again under jib and mizzen. The wind lightened all the rest of the afternoon. At 6pm we had up a full main and at 9pm we were becalmed. Exhausted by all the hauling, the motion and frustration, we flopped onto our bunks and slept until daylight. Refreshed by some real deep sleep, we went on deck and found there were very light airs from the southeast. Up went the spinnaker and mainsail, and we began to glide slowly over a calm sea. Overhead were thick grey clouds, but all these ended in a perfect arc far away ahead, and beyond it was a clear blue sky. We became very impatient over our slow speed, for we had a natural desire to pass under the arch and out into the sunshine. Looking around at the sea, we saw odd disturbances in the water, which looked for all the world like springs of water rising and disturbing the surface of a calm pond. We were surrounded by tiny overfalls and miniature whirlpools. This went on for some time, and then we passed over a thin but continuous line of foam stretching as far as the eye could see from northeast to southwest. Then there were more overfalls and movement under the water. We suddenly realised what it was. We were passing from the Gulf Stream to the Labrador Current. As they flow in opposite directions, the water is disturbed. How quickly the appearance of the sea changed from the rich translucent blue of the warm current we had been in for weeks to the clear dark green of the cold stream from the north. The transition was very apparent that day because the sea was calm, but even on rough days, the changing colour would always be apparent. In the early afternoon, we noticed a smudge of smoke from a ship on the horizon ahead of us. In less than an hour, it was heading straight for us. We couldn't get out of the way, being becalmed at the time. When only about a hundred yards away, she altered course suddenly and slid past at less than 50 yards. She had U.S. Naval Ship Mission of Los Angeles, written in large letters at the bow, midships and stern. We could just imagine a rating at the helm, not wishing to alter course without an order. Then the officer of the watch shouting, Well, do you reckon to run them down? We received many waves and greetings as she sped past. By her course, she appeared to be headed for Iceland. Our position was then longitude 64 degrees 3 minutes west, latitude 42 degrees 25 minutes north. The barometer at 29.4 was falling. During the rest of the afternoon and evening and the early hours of the 4th, our south-easterly wind increased and at 5am our spinnaker pole broke in two places. We hauled the sail down. The sky was dark and threatening and for the first time since leaving the Azores we felt cold. An hour after replacing the spinnaker by the jib we were knocked flat on our side by a hefty gust from a squall which came charging at us. On almost vertical decks, we lowered the mainsail in record time. Forked lightning started to dart around us, followed by angry bellows of thunder which vibrated through our craft. The light faded away and the cabin darkened. 
The Nova, left alone, roared ahead under jib and mizzen at a speed we never thought her capable of under those two tiny bits of canvas. We expected to hear the snap of the jib sheet at any moment, for they were now over a year old. We could not go on deck because we feared being struck by the almost continuous lightning, but no doubt the wire shrouds would give a sharp shock anyway. Mid-morning, we were almost becalmed again, our sails hardly lifting. Squalls and calms are the bane of all sailboatmen. When we were ghosting along, a large sword-fishing vessel came up to us from astern, unseen to us, but we soon heard the noise of her engine and looked around. What a lovely sight she presented, rising and falling elegantly over rough seas, showing her sweet lines. It was possible to recognise Nova Scotian schooner influence with its graceful sheer. They came within a few feet of us and asked where we were from. It was great fun to see their faces drop with surprise when we replied, London. If you want any supplies, we'll throw them to you, was shouted next. We thanked them for their kindness but refused the offer, for we still had plenty. They said they were returning to Liverpool, Nova Scotia, because of engine trouble and complained of the recent weather. We agreed completely about the weather. Standing in the bows of this craft was a large, staid-looking dog. It deigned to give us a brief stare, and then returned to keeping a strict watch for anything coming. Forging ahead en route for Liverpool, they soon left us astern, but their friendly spirit remained. The boat was named Marilyn Anne and hailed originally from Lunenburg. They had informed us that they were 80 miles from Liverpool, and this agreed with our estimate of 60 miles to the Dent lower down the coast. Our excitements for that day were not yet over. A strange woof pish sound was heard, but not located. Then, directly ahead of the boat, a large form broke the surface, made the same noise, and set up a cloud of vapour. A whale, but not of the usual dark colour, for this was a greyish white. It dived and left behind a swirling patch of foam-laced water. We think we had the privilege to see a rare sight, a white whale. When we had entered the Gulf Stream, several small fish had deserted their shelter under the floating weed to follow the Nova Espero. There was a peculiar pale green fish about one foot long and several small grey fish, and we now looked over the side, wondering how they liked our entry into such cold water after the warmer current. They had disappeared. But two pilot fish, which had left a shark to join our ship, were still there, and in addition there were three baby cod, their grey bodies with black stripes near the head plainly visible in the cold grey depths. At the end of the day, the wind faded away and we were once more becalmed. We had now been at sea 31 days, and a good breeze would have put us in sight of land in 24 hours. Well, we cursed. We had one good laugh, however, during the still night. We became conscious of the length of our hair and the whiskers on our faces. From our heads, the hair curled down to our necks and made it look like a girl's. Our beards grew differently in shape. Charles shaped his to a point and took a pride in its contour. Stanley had a thick fringe of uniform length encircling his face. Three and a half months had passed since our last trim. A faint northeasterly breeze arrived on the following morning, the 5th of August, and the skies cleared. The sun, warming us after the cold night, began an unbroken path across a sky that remained cloudless. But by 10am we had to lower the main because it blew too hard. At 2.30pm we were able to hoist it reefed. 
At 4pm, the northeast wind backed to northwest and we had to go south of our course. 10pm brought another change, this time in our favour, for the wind veered to north-northeast and stayed in that quarter all night. Our excitement mounted steadily at the thought of reaching land. By morning, it had reached a feverish pitch. A longitude sight at 8am on the 6th of August gave our westing 65 degrees and 6 minutes, directly through our dent. So, as we had been pushed to the south by yesterday's northwest wind and the current, the navigator assumed that we were south of our course. In a clear blue, cloudless sky, a gold meridian was taken at noon, and our latitude, 43 degrees 17 minutes north, proved this to be the case. So, the course was altered to north by west. As we neared where we thought land should be, small motorboats appeared, most of them with a platform sticking out from the bow for swordfish harpooning. Other boats were line fishing for cod. Land was sighted at 2pm. No wonder we hadn't seen it earlier, for it was very low-lying. After a wild feeling of jubilation, a curious sense of depression crept in. Perhaps it was the thought of mixing with people again, and a different type of struggle for existence from that on the broad expanse of the ocean. A pretty little red and white lighthouse showed up at the end of a neck of land, jutting out past the low sandy part which, at first, had not been visible. Now our lack of charts was badly felt, for where did our dent begin? Was it, as we hoped, just past the lighthouse? It was not, for all we saw was a long line of reefs on which the breakers roared, filling the air with threatening sounds. Above the noise we could hear, and presently saw, a bellboy, we kept well to seaward of that, for it warned of danger somewhere near. In the distance north of us, we could just make out another lighthouse, so we set a course for that one, hoping it marked the entrance to our elusive dent. The wind lightened, then fell away completely for about an hour, after which we felt a light air off the land. It brought with it the most wonderful aroma, which tingled the senses and made one feel it was good to be alive. Pine trees. To our joy, we saw a small boat disappear past the lighthouse, so surely there must be a harbour beyond it. Dusk began to enfold the land, but by this time we were opposite the second lighthouse, which we could see now was painted with broad stripes of red and white, and stood high above the dark green pines. The shoreline had changed, here it was rocky with cliffs about fifty feet high. As we stared shorewards, the light began to flash. A few more minutes sailing, and we saw a broad sheet of water cutting deep into the land. It was our dent at last. We turned landwards and tacked slowly up this waterway against a dying westerly wind. We could see a few houses on our starboard side, but no sign of a harbour. In the far distance ahead, there was nothing to be seen except the darkness of pine-clad land. Yet here and there were boys with flashing lights, so we concluded that the harbour must be round an unseen bend somewhere ahead. When night became complete, the wind disappeared altogether, so we unlashed our two spinnaker poles and paddled hard with them to a flashing red light a couple of hundred yards away. After much labour, we reached it and made fast a line to its sturdy frame. Then we listened. Not a sound was to be heard. Gone was the perpetual noise of restless water against our planks. Gone was all the trace of movement. There was nothing but an unreal quiet. The stars shone brightly down, and the cool air was filled with the scent of a thousand pines. We had crossed the ocean against many odds, and were now at rest. 
Only the last leg to New York lay before us, and for the moment we forgot that the distance was another 400 miles. Well, that's the end of today's reading. I hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't already, please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the mariner, where for $5 a month you can help support this podcast. If you do want to engage with more of the content there, there's uh, unique videos, more podcasts, blogs, lots of different things, and a growing community of people who are interested in all things sailing. That's patreon.com forward slash the mariner. Well, that's all from the Mariner's Library today, and I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers. Cheers.